Discipleship is the central theme of our church. Have you heard that before? I think we can all agree that discipleship is and should be the central theme of our church. Jesus, he gives us that specific command, that charge in Matthew chapter 28. It's a central mission of the church. So discipleship is and should be the central theme of our church. We see banners all around. We see it in our program. We even see a definition outside. It says discipleship is committing to intentional relationships that build Christ-likeness. Now, I think we can all agree on that, right? But what can be difficult to agree upon is what does discipleship look like? What does discipleship actually look like? Have you wondered that? It's so hard to figure out and agree upon a clear picture of discipleship. Why? Because we've all had different experiences of discipleship. Maybe for you it was a very formal thing. Once a week, in a coffee shop, in college, one hour, going through the Gospel of John, that was discipleship for you. Or maybe some of you it was a very informal thing. Maybe it was just gathering periodically with Christians, checking in for accountability's sake. For some of you, maybe discipleship has always been a part of this church, and you say, yeah, I see it here, 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 and there. For others, maybe discipleship is like a word you've never heard of before and says, I have no idea what you're talking about, Pastor. So what does discipleship look like? Well, this morning, I wanted to look at the word And see if we could find two very clear pictures of discipleship. Pictures of discipleship from the word that we can agree upon, that we can see, that we can glean, that we can look through and explore. These are two pictures that I have been praying over and meditating and sharing with. Certainly as we are going through a transition in youth ministry, Pastor Paul, our youth pastor of 20 years, is stepping down. The question is, what does discipleship look like for our youth? And I've asked that question. I've met individually with our youth advisors. I've asked that question. We've met collectively with youth advisors and church school teachers. I've talked to people inside and outside of the church, former youth, which means just adults, inside and outside the church. And you can imagine I've received so many different responses and answers. What does discipleship look like? And so I wanted to go back to the Word. I wanted to look at these two passages. And I wanted to see, as a church, what discipleship actually looks like according to the Bible. So please join together with me as we look at two key passages that provide two clear pictures of discipleship in the Bible The first passage being from Deuteronomy chapter 6. So turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning with verse 4, as we look at our first picture of discipleship in the Bible. And for those of you taking notes, the first point is a picture of discipleship in the Bible. The first picture we're looking at is family. Family. It's from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Verses 4 through 9. The first picture we're looking at in the Bible is family. Family. Let me read this, beginning with verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Deuteronomy, it's a great book of the Bible. This is the last book of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. It's Moses' departing sermons 
to a generation, the people of Israel, as they are about to enter the promised land. And I want you to remember that this generation that Moses is writing to, this collection of sermons, these people, they were just children when the Lord led them out of Egypt in the Exodus. This generation, they were just children when Moses sent 12 spies into the promised land. Ten came back with a bad report. They were just children when their parents were forbidden to enter into the promised land. Why? Because they lacked faith. They did not believe the promises of God. They were just children when Moses himself was forbidden to enter into the promised land because he did not honor the Lord as holy before the people of Israel. And so you can imagine that this passage here that we've read, it's a commencement speech of sorts. In a graduation ceremony, the people are about to enter into the promised land and Moses, the shepherd, the pastor, he can't go in with them. And so he gives them a charge. This is what you shall do. He gives them the word of the Lord, the commandment. The people of God, they're about to graduate in to the promised land where they'll face opposition from the nations who worship a multitude of different gods, who do practices and live in such a way that go directly contrary to the word of God. And the charge Moses leaves the people of Israel is will you follow the one true Lord in all of your ways? And will you pass that on to the next generation, the future generation, who did not see all my signs and wonders in Egypt, they're relying on you, parents, to pass it on. And so here's some observations we can glean from this picture of discipleship, this picture of family in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. I'm just going to go pretty quickly through this. All right, One, it was grounded in doctrine. Verse 4 Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It's called the Shema. That's the word, the Hebrew word here. It was a confession of faith. It was a daily pledge of allegiance to the one true Lord. So it was grounded in doctrine. It was born out of a love for the Lord. Look at verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. This is the key. Love the Lord with everything you've got. That was the command. Third, it was grounded in God's word. Verse 6, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Fourth, it was primarily the responsibility of parents. Verse 7, You shall teach them diligently to your children. Next, it was intentional. You shall teach them diligently. It was regular and ongoing. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk up by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. It was not just daily, it was every moment of the day. Again, when you sit, when you walk, when you lie down, when you rise. And it was intentionally setting up reminders all throughout your home of God and his word. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontless before your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Finally, it was an intentional witness to the entire world. That it's written on the doorposts and on the gates is to show the entire world that you belong to the one true Lord, the Creator God. And you worship Him and Him alone. Now there's a lot more that you can glean from this passage. And I encourage you to go, go home and look through it, meditate on it, pray through it. There's so much more here, right? But for our purposes this morning, I wanted to really hone in on this charge to parents. Remember, parents were given the primary responsibility to pass on a love of the Lord to the next generation. And I know this sounds daunting. I know this sounds impossible. I mean, let's be realistic, right? Parents, I mean, is there anything that can, we could be really tied to the moment we wake up, when we walk, even when we go right to bed? Is there anything that we are constantly checking? 
You know, the moment we wake up all throughout the day, when we go to sleep, can you think of anything? I mean, that's impossible, right? That's ridiculous. Wait, let me check my phone right now. Oh, our phones. Isn't that interesting? We're tied to our phones. The moment we wake up all throughout our day, we're checking for daily social media feeds, the latest lightning deals, whether someone texted us or not, texting somebody or not. And if we're doing that, how much more the next generation, the youth, even children? And maybe some of you here, the older generation, think, yeah, I'm not tied to my phone, Pastor. But maybe it's Fox News or CNN or the nightly news just playing on in the background or news or talk radio on the, on the, on the car. You see, whether we realize it or not, whether actively or passively, we are constantly filling our minds with messaging all throughout the day. The question is, is it messaging from the world or is it messaging from the Word of God? You see, there's a battle going on for our minds and our hearts and our souls. And are we filling our minds with messages from outside? Are we filling it with the word and the truth of God? Are we filling it with messaging from the world? This is what the world will tell you, that you are in control, that you are master of your own destiny. But if you only have that, you'd be set. And if you don't even look like that, you'd be complete. And if you only knew that, you'd be safe. Is that what you're hearing? Or are you hearing messaging from the Word of God that you were created by a Creator, that you belong to Him, that you were created for relationship with Him, that you are a sinner in need of grace and forgiveness, that you find that in Christ Jesus and Him alone, that Jesus is enough. You give your life to Him, and He will never let you go. Do you hear that? every day? Do you hear that every moment? See, parents, we have a responsibility to make sure what is being fed into our children and youth is the Word of God. Again, you might think, as parents, great pastor, I can't even talk to my youth. They seem like they're checked out and their eyes are glazed over. I have no idea whether anything is going through one ear. It just goes out the other ear. Right. But let me just tell you this, okay? This is a very interesting thing. Facebook, Twitter, TikTok will come and go. But there's one voice that remains the most powerful voice in the life of your youth. You know what that is? Parents, it's your voice. It's your voice. What you say or what you don't say is the most powerful thing in the life of your youth. I want to look at Proverbs chapter 6, verse 20. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. This is a, a very strong encouragement to all parents of young and grown children. In Proverbs chapter 6, verse 20 through 24, it says this, My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light and the, uh, and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life to preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. This book of Proverbs is a father writing to his son as he's grown up and about to leave from under the safety of the roof of his parents. And what he's saying here is that a father's commandment and a mother's teaching, you wear it around your neck and you wear it on your heart and they will guide you all throughout the day. And it uses the same language that we find in Deuteronomy chapter 6. When you walk, when you lie down, and when you awake, 
Your parents' voice will be with you all throughout the day and life. And so, if your voice is that powerful, parents, then are you feeding your children the word of the world or the word of the Lord? Now, here's a fun exercise, okay? Here's a fun exercise. Here's a question I want you to think about. And you can discuss this at home after church. What is one thing you want to pass on to the next generation? Take a moment. You can jot it down. Think about it. What's one thing you want passed on to the next generation? You don't have to be parents here. This is one family. We're a church family. What's your desire? What's your hope for the youth? What do you want passed on to the next generation? Is it do your best? Try your hardest? Be kind to others? Be loyal? What is it? Here's another question. What is one thing you remember your parents passing on to you? And this goes for all ages here, okay? What's one thing you remember your parents constantly drilling in you? Be kind. Try your hardest. Do your best. Make sure you get A's. What is it? What was it? Now, when you go home, parents, it'll be a fun exercise to ask and see if the answers to both questions match with your children. What you thought your children heard from you, is it really what they heard from you? (laughs) If you ask your child when you go home and say, even if they're grown adults, and you ask them, hey, so what's the answer to, to the question? What's one thing you remember mommy and daddy passing on to you? Well, you always said to, when I cross the street, to look both ways. Really? That's what you got for me? Why? What did you think, Mom? Oh, I always thought it was to make sure you wash behind your ears. I don't know what it was, right? So make sure. It'll be fun to see if your answers match. Because parents, wouldn't it be convicting if the one thing we wanted passed on to the next generation is not actually what they're hearing from us? That'd be pretty convicting to hear. But regardless, a good thing to pray for from these two questions, from this exercise, the answers should be one and the same. Okay, and it's not try your hardest. It's not do your best. It comes straight from Deuteronomy chapter 6. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. That should be the one thing we pass on to the next generation is a growing love for the Lord. It's not do this, don't do this. It's love the Lord with everything you've got. And the one thing our children should remember from their parents is they always told me to love the Lord with everything. You see, the one thing we desire for the next generation should be the one thing that they hear from us as well. Make sure our messaging is consistent and make sure it doesn't come from ourselves. It comes from the word of God. You know, it's interesting addressing the common comment that parents have that I, can't, I just can't reach my youth. They speak in another language. I have no idea what TikTok or TalkTik or whatever that thing is. I don't even know how to turn on my phone, so I have no idea what they're doing. Now, I just want to share with you as pastors, okay, you might think, parents, you might think I have no way of reaching my kids. They're of a completely different generation. I need young people to do that. But as pastors, did you know that when we go through with a couple premarital counseling, when we go through a couple marital counselings, you know, oftentimes what we have to sort through is a couple's upbringing. Namely, what their parents said or didn't say as they were growing up. Do I have to remind you, parents, that your voice is the most powerful voice in the life of your child. What you say or didn't say has a huge impact all the way, even as they're grown adults, even as they get married, even as they have their own family. And so make sure that you keep talking to your youth. Be intentional, right? You shall teach them diligent. You shall talk 
of them when they sit in your house, when you walk by the way. You look for opportunities all throughout the day. Keep talking. Stay intentional. Keep the relationship open. Keep the communication channels open. And in the church, you know, a lot of times for parents, we recommend from this passage to take, take advantage of informal and formal opportunities to speak with your child. Informal opportunities meaning teachable moments all throughout the day. You know, whenever your child looks at the sunset and says, Wow, Dad, that's great. Are you going to let that moment pass by and say, Yeah, it's pretty cool. Or are you going to say, Yeah, did you know that God created all of that? Are you going to take advantage of that teachable moment? And when your child comes home and is disappointed and discouraged because they've been wronged by the world, are you just going to pat them on the back and say, yeah, too bad? Or are you going to point them to Christ and the hope we have in a Savior? Are you going to point that our hearts are so fallen and wicked and they're going to be wronged by the world because, guess what, there's sin? Are we taking advantage of teachable moments? Are we being prepared to give an answer from the Word all throughout the day when the opportunity arises with our child? Are we taking advantage of formal opportunities to teach our children and youth? Formal opportunities meaning family worship. Maybe it's a formal nighttime family devotional time together. Maybe it's morning times of prayer Are you taking advantage of formal times? Because from this passage, we see a mix of informal, formal, all throughout the day, every moment of the day. Are we doing that? You see, God in his perfect wisdom has designed you parents as the primary agents to pass along the knowledge, not just the knowledge, but a love for the Lord to the next generation. And it is happening in the context of family. That's how God designed it. This is the first picture of discipleship we see in the Bible. From Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, family. What's the next picture we want to look at? Turn with me to Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. And let's see a second picture. Acts chapter 2. Verses 42 to 47. And the second picture of discipleship we see in the Bible, this is the second point, it's church family. Church family. The first picture we saw was family from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. The second picture we look at right now is church family. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. Let me read this to you. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing their proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This passage from Acts chapter 2 comes off the heels of the birth of the early church. Jesus ascends to heaven, tells his disciples, wait for the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon you. They wait for the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit comes down, comes in them. They speak in many different tongues and languages. And Jews from all around the world are amazed that they hear their language being spoken. And so Peter takes an opportunity to preach the gospel and says that this same Jesus, whom you crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. And that day, over 3,000 souls were added because he said to repent and be baptized. And right after that, we see this wonderful picture of discipleship. Let's see some just quick observations here that we can glean from this picture of discipleship. One, it was grounded in God's word. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. 
Two, it was carried out in fellowship, verse 42, and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. Three, it was in response to the work of the Lord, and all came upon every soul. It was a supernatural work of the Spirit, verse 43, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. It was doing life together, even though they came from different places, verse 44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. It was selfless. It was shared. Verse 45, and they were selling their possessions, belongings, distributing them, proceeds to all as any had need. It was daily, verse 46, day by day. It was worshipful, praising God. It was a witness of the gospel to others, having favor with all the people. It was multiplying by the grace of the Lord, verse 47. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. There's, again, so much we can glean about discipleship here. And you see a lot of similarities, right, with the first picture in the family. It's daily, it's ongoing, it's regular, it's intentional. But we see a lot of differences as well. Namely, it's a supernatural work of the Spirit, and everything was done in response to the work God was doing in this community. It was a mixed community. Different people, different backgrounds, holding all things in common. It was supernatural in that respect. So where do we see this today? Do we see Acts, this picture of Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47? Do we see this picture of a mixed people having all things in common? Do we see this in the world today? Actually, we see a lot of imitations of it. We have secular social clubs, right? We have boys and girls club. We have moms groups. We have seniors clubs. People of similar backgrounds coming together, having things in common. We also actually see this in society. We have communes. We have communist society where people are called to have all things in common, right? Finally, we also see this, unfortunately, in cults. And a cult will say that you give up all personal belongings for the sake of the common good. And they try to replicate what we see here in verses 42 to 47. But you know where all these groups we see in the world, where they fall short, is that it's all your own power. You're trying to force it. You're trying to force this picture of togetherness and having all things in common. What we see in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47, is a work of the Spirit. It's supernatural. It's a result of the gospel taking root in a people. What we see in the world, in communes, communist societies, and cults, there's no awe, there's no gladness, there's no generous hearts because sin is not addressed. What happens in these groups a lot of times? Selfishness, drama, it all falls apart. You see, these pictures are not to be imitated if you don't recognize the source of them. And the source of Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, is a very supernatural work of the Spirit. Here are people who confess that they are sinners in need of a Savior. They are redeemed. And that's what we see happen. With joy and gladness, with awe, they are sharing all things in common. Well, what about in the church today? Do we see this in the church today? Well, again, we can have very similar people from similar backgrounds together even in the church. We can have youth groups. We can have college groups. We can have young adult groups, young mom groups, young family groups, young family groups, youth family groups, emptiness parent groups, married couple groups, senior groups. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's very natural to gather with people of your same background, and we trust and pray that the Spirit is moving in those groups. But we have to recognize that's not what we see in Acts chapter 2. That's not the picture we see of discipleship here. Because the early church family was a mixed community of different backgrounds, cultures, and they were gathered together supernaturally as a fruit of the gospel in their lives. That they had awe and glad and generous hearts and were sharing everything in common when in fact they had very little if nothing in common 
except for their faith in Jesus. Now, that was something that the world has never seen before. This picture of discipleship we see in Acts chapter 2 is a compelling picture of the gospel at work. And it's the most compelling picture that the Lord provides us. It's the local church family. And so discipleship in the local church today, though it may not be every day, okay, it should be regular. It should be ongoing. It should resemble life together in pursuing Christ. And for a commuter church like ours, where everybody lives an average of 30 minutes away, you know, it'd be really hard to have informal gatherings. You have to be a lot more intentional about gathering together, living so far apart. But the closer you live, to other church members, if you were to identify people who live five minutes away from you from the church, it'd be much easier to gather informally and formally, intentionally in discipleship. So we have to recognize that a mix of formal, informal in our church today, given our how far we live from each other, we have to be that much more intentional, right? That's why we have life groups. Did you know that Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47 is a perfect picture where we base life groups off of? It's doing life together. It's sharing life together, everyday life together. And though discipleship doesn't have to take place or come out of a life group, we have to admit it'd be easier if you did it with people you just ran into in the community from the church, to just drop by at the park, to knock on the door, right? It makes it much easier. And also, we have to recognize that discipleship in the local church should somehow resemble this compelling, supernatural, gospel, mixed community we see in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, because God designed the local church to offer the most compelling witness of the gospel to the world. And that's by our love for one another. Not love that makes sense, but love that's supernatural. Love among people who have nothing in common except for their faith in Jesus. You know, when I came to Evergreen as a high school student, I enjoyed meeting other high school students. I wanted to meet other high school students. But I was mostly intrigued by pastors as a high school student. I was intrigued by pastors who did not seem to care about a high-paying career, unlike me at that time in my life. And they somehow took the time to reach out to a high school student like myself. And they exhibited and modeled a love for the Lord. When I was in college, I wanted to meet other college students, yes, but you know the one intriguing thing about the church was? Was that there was a 20-something-year-old pastoral intern who would drive to UCLA every week to meet with me for discipleship at 7 a.m. That didn't make sense to me. When I was a young adult, I enjoyed meeting with other young adults. But I learned the most in the church from a couple who opened up their home to me and brought me into their family. And I was even a regular babysitter of their three young children. I learned the most from being in that home. When I was engaged to Kelly, again, actually it was kind of difficult to find other couples who were engaged at that time. But what we did find was a married couple who again opened up their home and mentored us with their young children. And that was hugely impactful for us. When we had a young family, we found other young families. We did life together. We formed a branch. That was awesome. But you know, some of my most significant conversations were actually with the young adults who took care of our kids and a single dad who was going through a separation. Even more recently, the most rewarding ministry I've been a part of recently was also the most awkward ministry I found myself in. Every Friday morning, teaching to a group of moms, young and old, 
Not how to be a mom. I had no insight on that. I just taught them the word of God. And yet it was the most rewarding and blessed thing. And somehow it all worked. I share all of these things because what if, Evergreen Church, what if the most compelling, powerful, supernatural thing we can offer as a local church family are these type of mixed interactions that we don't see apart from the work of the Spirit? What if the one thing we can offer as a local church family is something so compelling, so unusual, so much that it's supernatural? And what if we don't shy away from those interactions, but we embrace them and we look for them? You can't force them. Remember we talked about you can't force those interactions. But... We should expect them as a work of the Spirit, as the work of the gospel in the hearts of people who acknowledge that they are sinners in need of grace. And when they are all come together as a redeemed community, then something very special happens. A love crosses backgrounds, generations, cultures, personalities, and it becomes a picture to the world that there is a Savior and a redeemer at work here. That's a picture of discipleship. So here's some questions to consider. First question. Again, you can discuss this on your way home, after church, over lunch. First question, if a non-Christian were to come to our Lord's Day service, come right through the back doors, come sit right here, and just observe our interactions, who we talk to, who we gather with, how we're interacting. Would it make sense to the non-Christian? Meaning, would they say, ah, yeah, I, I, I see what's happening here. I see a parking lot full of Siennas and Odysseys. Okay, I see you guys all look the same, act the same. You guys all talk about football or not football. I understand what's going on here. Or do they say, there's something different here. I don't see this in the world today. I see people coming together who have no reason to come together. I see people old and young, different generations, different backgrounds and cultures, different socioeconomic, and they're loving one another like a family. There's something special here that I don't see. That's the first question. Second question, do your interactions with other people at Evergreen Church, do they look different than your interactions with non-Christians outside the church? Meaning, how we interact with each other, does it show a certain level of love that you don't find and see with the non-Christian? Is there something deeper going on here? Is there something that goes beyond the surface of just the football games and the Dodger games and the latest trades? Is there something deeper going on with sin and confession of sin and hardship and help and prayer and encouragement and mourning with each other and rejoicing with each other? Because it should. It should. So we have two pictures of discipleship. Again, the first picture we saw from Deuteronomy chapter 6, picture of family. It's ongoing. It's intentional. It's a charge given to parents. We have a second picture of discipleship from Acts chapter 2. And it's the church family. And it's supernatural. It's the gospel taking shape, taking root, bearing fruit. And I have to, before we go on, I have to share this, okay? The first picture of discipleship, the family from Deuteronomy chapter 6, we have to acknowledge that the people of Israel, that charge, they failed, okay? The parents, they didn't remember, they forgot. They didn't pass it on. They forgot the Lord. They adopted the practices of the world. They worshiped other gods. 
They did things that were very contrary to what God had commanded them to do. The next generation, they had no idea who God was. And so as a result of their unfaithfulness to the Lord, the Lord sent nations to invade them. They were exiled. They were scattered. So that first picture we saw, it's in jeopardy here. The second picture, Acts chapter 2. We have to acknowledge that Stephen was martyred under the watchful eye of a guy named Saul. There was a great persecution. The church was scattered in Judea to Judea and Samaria. That second picture of discipleship in jeopardy. For us today here at Evergreen, I don't have to share with you that we've been through an unusually amount, large amount of turnover and transition. Sure, we've gone through COVID-19 and the shutdown, but everybody has had to go go through that as a church. What we went through was the transition of a senior pastor after 42 years, subsequent transitions of pastors, the impending departure of our youth pastor of 20 years. Is discipleship, a picture of discipleship, is it in jeopardy here at Evergreen as well because of all these transitions? Well, praise God that his word is not contingent on situations that change or transitions. And it's the reason why we wanted to get back to the word and look at it. Because in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8, it says, The grass withers, the flower fades, but you know what? The word of our God will stand forever. And so, yes, the people of Israel, they went astray. They weren't faithful. But the command to pass along a love for the Lord, that remains. That's still true. And that's still valid. But what we can learn from the, that generation and its failure is that parents, if it seemed daunting, if it seemed impossible, guess what it is on your own power. What we need is the power of God to help us the same supernatural work of the Spirit we see in the second picture. We need to fulfill that first picture. We need the work of grace in our own lives. We as parents need to acknowledge that we are sinners, that we live for ourselves, that we're prone to forget the Lord. We're prone to wander from the Lord. And we need Him to give us new hearts of flesh through Christ Jesus and the Spirit working in us to do a supernatural work and pass on that love of the Lord. Only when we confess our sins and turn away from our own sins and follow Jesus are we able to truly love the Lord with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our might. It has to be a supernatural work of God. It cannot be our own power. And yes, the the early church, they were scattered, right? Right? But you know what? That picture we saw in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, every place they were scattered when they preached the gospel and the gospel took root, then that picture kept popping up all over the world. And it still does today. It's a work of the Spirit. It's a fruit of the gospel. And so that's why I believe, okay, here's our big point. This is why I believe that the first picture of discipleship is best combined with the second picture of discipleship. And as we talk specifically about this transition in youth ministry, youth ministry at Evergreen should look like both pictures combined. Okay? Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, combined. And what does that look like? Church family, discipling families as they disciple their youth church family, discipling families as he disciple their youth. Deuteronomy chapter 6, that picture taking place within family, within local church family, as a work of the Spirit. Families can only disciple their children or youth as they are being discipled in the local church family. We need the power of God to fulfill that first picture. We're competing against phones and smartphones and social media. We need the power of God. And we need to, as parents, more than anything, we need to love the Lord 
our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our might. That's the best thing we can do for our youth, to acknowledge that we are in need of a Savior and we need the Lord to come in and give us a new heart. Only when we acknowledge Jesus as Lord and live no longer for ourselves are we able to truly love him with everything we've got. And only in a supernatural, redeemed, mixed gospel community can we see the gospel lived out among different peoples of different ages, different personalities gathered together in the power of the Lord. You see, this supernatural, redemptive gospel community is the most compelling witness of the gospel to our youth today. Because this is something that they do not see in the world. This type of love and care, having all things in common, it should be the most compelling gospel witness to our youth. So what does this look like? Well, imagine a family, or picture a family, who is doing life together. Not just with other families, but young couples, older couples, young singles, older singles. They're part of a a life group, and they're doing life together. Again, widows, widowers, young adults, college students. Parents are being discipled by other couples. Youth are being invited into other church friends' homes where they actually meet aunties and uncles who model the gospel to them and show what a family centered in Christ looks like. On the Lord's Day, youth are being poured into not just by other youth or people who look like them, but college students, young adults, married couples, older couples, singles, older singles, a mix of people, a redeemed gospel community pouring into them with the word of God and also showing them pictures of the gospel at work in the lives of young and old, rich and poor, different backgrounds. Parents are being equipped to disciple their children through equipping classes. Parents are invited to join along with their youth in Bible studies and even take classes with their youth. This is a picture that can happen. Youth are invited to sit in this sanctuary under the preaching of God's word, trusting that it is sufficient, profitable for reproof, correction, training, and righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work, 2 Timothy 3.16. And for everything that's offered to youth, there's something offered for parents, recognizing that it's parents who hold the primary responsibility and the most powerful voice in the life of their youth. Youth, again, are being challenged with the word of God to apply it in their life, to see it in the life to see the world through biblical lens. And we believe that can happen through small groups. Small groups where they're wrestling through the word with each other. And they're guided by people like you and me. doesn't have to be a certain age group. Young and old, different backgrounds. Showing them, modeling to them, being an example of the gospel in their lives by leading these small groups. The best thing parents can do for their youth, grow in your love for the Lord with everything you have. That's youth discipleship. The best thing we can do for parents, church family, help them grow in their love for the Lord with everything. Be an example or a model of one who loves the Lord with everything we have. This is discipleship of parents. This is discipleship. It's a shared responsibility as a local church. It's not the primarily the job of the pastor to disciple everybody. That's impossible. But we are here to equip you with the word that you may then in turn disciple others and do the work of ministry. Ephesians chapter 4. And this transition of youth ministry is not to be answered by any one pastor. It's to be answered by the entire church. And so will you, Evergreen Church, rise up? We have youth in need of reaching. Will you reach out to youth? Will you come alongside parents? Will you pray for parents? Will you mentor and disciple parents? Will you invite youths and families over to your home? 
Will you invite them to be part of your life group? Is there room for a family with youth in your life group? Will you make room? Will you be an example to the youth of our church, of one who is growing in their love of the Lord? Will you be a model of one who is a sinner saved by grace, who is going hard and pursuing Christ? Don't think that you don't have a role or influence in this church family. Families, they can't do it on their own. They need the church family to come alongside them. And so, will you do this, Evergreen Church? Yes, there'll be youth socials, youth outings, youth small groups, youth Bible studies, youth retreats, but that should all be done in partnership with parents as they do the primary work at home in their families. And the hope should be to integrate the youth into the life of the church, this compelling gospel-mixed community because that's the greatest witness and picture we can give to the youth of the gospel at work. Again, young and old, rich and poor, mixed backgrounds, coming together, loving the Lord, loving each other, a supernatural work of the Spirit. You know the youth of today, you know what they need more than anything? They need the Lord Jesus. Amen? You know what we all need? more than anything? We need the Lord Jesus. That means parents, children, singles, married, older, younger, let's all intentionally help each other grow in our love for the Lord Jesus. Let's come alongside each other. Let's encourage one another to grow in our love for the Lord as we love each other and live out the gospel in this local church family. Because you know at the end of the day, you know what that's called? It's called discipleship. It's called discipleship. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this great opportunity we have. I thank you for directing us to your word. Yeah, there's a lot of transition going on. There's a lot going on in the world. And so we turn to you, we turn to your word, we ask for your help. We cannot do this on our own. God, I thank you for the two pictures of discipleship you've given us, the final picture of both pictures combined here at our church. God, I ask for your grace to come upon parents right now who are feeling overwhelmed by this task. God, I pray that you would encourage them and help us as a church family to encourage them to pray for them, to come alongside them, to invite them into our lives. And God, I just pray, Lord, for this opportunity to reach the youth of today. I pray it would be an opportunity that all will come forward and answer in whatever way we can to help as a church family. God, we look to you in this time We thank you that everything could be falling apart in the world, but your word stands forever, and you are forever. And so we turn to you, we look to you, we ask for your help. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.